Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Olive Magazine podcast, the 1st of March 2017. My name's Laura Rowe and I'm the editor of Olive and this week I have a brilliant lineup of foodie friends, expert advice and our top recommendations. We've Thomasina Myers, MasterChef winner and founder of Oaxaca Talking Tacos. Olive food director Janine has been visiting Instagram sensation chef Callum Franklin about his obsession with all things pastry and get some insider tips for making the perfect pie. Plus, our drinks writer Sarah goes deep on bar snacking. First up, here's myself at Oaxaca HQ in London with Thomasina Myers. So, hello. Uh, this is Laura, the editor of Olive Magazine here. I am here with Thomasina Myers, best known as Tommy, who first found fame as a winner of MasterChef in 2005. Since then, she's become an acclaimed food writer with now seven recipe books to her name, has had several cookery shows on the telly, and all the while running a successful restaurant business, namely Oaxaca, which is celebrating its 10th birthday this year. So, hi, Tommy. Hi. <laughs> You've been busy. <laughs> um, but MasterChef wasn't the first start of your food journey, was it? Tell us a bit about how it all started and how you got to where you are? Uh, well, I think it probably started when I was five, on my mother's knee. Um, I was not very good at playing with dolls, so I played with wooden spoons um, okay. and knives instead. Um, so she, she, she kind of taught me. I, I then earned pocket money when I was a teenager, cooking yeah. for people. Um, it seemed a great way of getting some cash in hand. <laughs> yeah. um, but I never really thought I could do it as a career. I guess my school was quite academic and... It, it seems strange that food was in such a different space yeah. back when I was a teenager leaving school. Mm. Um, it felt almost unacceptable to work in food, whereas now it seems crazy to it's even say that. It's a dream job, isn't it? It's a dream yeah. job, exactly. Um, it's creative, entrepreneurial, mm. um, and got real future to it. So I, um, I think, wasted about eight, out, eight years of my kind of early 20s, late teens, trying to find a career mm. that I was actually passionate about failed miserably <laughs> um, and it wasn't actually until I was in a catwalk show with Clarissa Dixon White um, wow. <laughs> kind of saying I don't know what to do with my life that she said you should be going to cookery school because yeah. if you love food so much why aren't you doing it yeah so that's when that journey began I went off to Ballymaloo um, and it was a real epiphany for me it was, I finally felt excited about something yeah you know I've been working in digital strategy at the height of the dot-com boom I've been working in marketing and I've been doing yeah. like supposedly exciting things yeah but without any flicker and suddenly I was absolutely alive someone had lit my fire they'd woken me up out of a slumber yeah so it was very exciting so was it then that you went to Mexico when did that happen because that kind of really focused your your drive of where you wanted to be presumably so I first went to Mexico on my gap year and I had arrived with no preconception. I think like most people, I just thought that Mexico had Tex-Mex food. Yeah. Um, and then I arrived and realised that the food was completely different, that it was strongly regional, really varied from state to state. And that also Mexico is one of the top five countries in terms of biodiversity. Wow. So 
the quality of ingredients and the and the diversity of ingredients. So it was that biodiversity that I just found extraordinary. So, so I travelled all around when I was 18, 10 years later. Um, after I got back from Ballymloom, worked in London for a few years, I thought, I've just got to go back. Yeah, and that's when your career in food started? After. Um, well, I suppose after Ballymaloo, I, I ran um, a food shop for a while um, in Great Portland Street called Valandry. Um, I mucked around with kind of food markets, um, Covent Garden, Henrietta Green's Food Levels Fair in Covent Garden at the time. So I, I was working in food. I, I wasn't really cooking okay. as, as a living. I flew out to Mexico City um, and opened a huge cocktail bar. But it was really just <laughs> an exciting. excuse. <laughs> just an excuse to... Um, and I worked with Crispin Somerville, actually. He's okay. just opened... Um, El Pastor. Um, right. I, I heard about the job from Sam Hot, yeah. someone who told me about it. Um, so I flew to Mexico City. It was just an excuse to get back to Mexico. Yeah. And then I started traveling around, cooking with women in markets, cooking with chefs, spending time in other kitchens, um, and traveling to the really foodie regions right. just to learn as much as possible. When I came back from Mexico a year later, I was, I mean, I was in food fully immersed in food yeah. I still didn't actually know how I was going to bring money into the bank yeah. slightly in debt at this stage um, and that's when MasterChef happened yeah you kind of gloss over it on your website as this small thing but you mean you won it it shows that it's such an amazing thing and then you opened up Oaxaca was it a year or two years later yeah so I guess when I, I actually filmed end of 2004 and Mark and I met in 2006 and started working so it's two it was about a year and a half. It was about a year and a half. I yeah. went and worked for Sky Ginger after MasterChef, which yeah. was amazing. Yeah. Wrote a cookbook. Um, and was just kind of experimenting. And, and that's when my business partner and I found yeah. each other. So how did the concept for Oaxaca come about? Was it the sort of the first, um, the first idea you had? Or was it kind of an evolution? Was it a natural thing to go to Mexican food? Or Well, I guess when I went out to Mexico, it was definitely to search and explore and investigate a cuisine that yeah. I saw was completely unrepresented yes. in the UK. So for me, that was a real curiosity of why was no one doing it. So that was definitely why I went back to Mexico. But when I came back, I didn't really have any food contacts um, in the industry, or very few. I didn't have any money, um, didn't yeah. have much experience. So, um, so when I met Mark, um, he kind of... We had this conversation on what would it be and in my head I, there were so many restaurants I'd already eaten in Mexico City yeah. so we flew out together I basically had to just show him yeah. um, and then I took him around all the favourite places I had and all those places that really stood out and, and from there um, I mean it took a year from that moment to, for Oaxaca to be born yeah. so I think it's, it's not like a simple thing just to open a restaurant and I think actually if you've What's so great about the street food scene nowadays is you see people honing their business idea over a few years yeah. in a street food store and then they might open bricks and mortar. Yeah. So it takes a while to hone your concept, but definitely this lovely cantina style. Because a few people are doing burritos at that stage. Yes. But I knew that for me, burritos was just to just do burritos would be yeah. quite a kind of, um, yeah. I mean, burritos are in North Mexico, but they're definitely no rice in them. 
Yes. Um, you opened with such a strong identity and you've been here 10 years now. Is it 24 restaurants you've got across the UK, which yeah. is amazing that everybody's getting to try this wonderful food now. But what was it hard when you first opened, even just sourcing the ingredients or kind of selling that message to people, like you say, because it was so underrepresented at that time? Um, yeah, totally. When my um, friends who worked with chefs found out I was doing Mexican food, they really tried to dissuade me. They're basically like, Mexican food's disgusting. Why are you doing that? Um, and like it was a really poor representation it's basically yeah. kind of cheap nasty food that that was what people thought of as yeah. Mexican food um, so there was that barrier to overcome but also in terms of supply chain I remember going to talk to suppliers and saying have you got any Mexican produce and they were basically like yeah we've got loads of cumin and we've got these like deep fried um, stuffed jalapeno poppers you know yeah. and it was just having to explain to them what ancho chili was, what guajillo was, what chipotle was. Yeah. I mean, you can get hold of a chipotle then. So, um, interestingly, you can't get hold of chipotle now because <laughs> the UK government have just banned the importation of whole chipotle chilies uh, because they think they're too smoky. So right. that's a whole different conversation. Wow, okay. I know. <laughs> that's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, uh, as food magazines, including Olive, have been kind of touting Mexican food as the next big thing for like the last five years, and it kind of hasn't really caught on, on mainstream apart from what you guys are doing. But over the last like three months, there's been so many, I mean, you mentioned one earlier, taco places that have opened. Why do you think that is? All of a sudden people are like, wow, actually, it tastes really good. Well, I feel that a few people in the last 10 years have tried to open Good Mexican, but I would argue not that successfully. Um, We have basically been waiting for 10 years for someone to open a good Mexican restaurant. And it feels like, you know, apart from places you could count on a hand um, and not not accounting the burrito places that that I don't really think fit into this this exact remit, um, people just haven't done it. But, but meanwhile, Mexican food has been becoming a thing worldwide. Yeah. Yes. There have been people um, like Ferran Adria's brother Alberto opening restaurants in yeah. Barcelona, Rene's um, you know, sous chef opening her um, place in Copenhagen, Rene now doing his pop-up in Tulum. It, it's not like Mexican food has just been sitting in a corner. It's like this kind of fermenting bottle <laughs> of juice that yeah. is now basically exploding over yeah. the world because it yeah. is sensational food. But Brits just haven't been able to eat it in anywhere other, really, than Oaxaca, I'd argue, in a a couple of other places. Um, So for me, as a chef, uh, Anna, as an entrepreneur, it's really exciting to see other people cooking Mexican. Because it's now not just us going, guys, tacos (laughs) really are delicious. (laughs) It's like other people, too, saying tacos really are delicious. So I think it's amazing. You know, I think last year we thought it was the year of the taco. I think arguably 2017 could even more be the taco. I mean, they're gluten-free, yeah. they're delicious, they're healthy, um, and they're just wrapped around the most sensational ingredients. So, yeah, let's strip it back. For those that aren't, still haven't tried one, which if you haven't, you really need to, what is a taco? So, a taco is uh, a soft corn tortilla. Okay, so um, I think there's that misconception, there are those crispy shells that you get in the supermarket. Yeah, yeah, those. yeah. I mean, you could argue that tostada is a crispy shell, so that is a, that's a tortilla deep fried or baked until it's crisp okay delicious not a taco a taco is soft it's hot it's come off the grill um uh so it kind of smells a bit tasty um or you can at home you can steam them in your microwave uh and um and they are basically yeah they're made of 100 percent corn they're completely gluten-free 
Um, you can actually have tacos made of flour, which you get in northern Mexico as well, or you can get a blend of corn. But the, the, the really southern Mexican ones are 100% corn. Uh, and they um, you can fill them with almost anything. You go from region to region yeah. um, through Mexico and you get slow-cooked pork dishes with pig pickled onions. You get... Um, fish that's just been fished out of the sea and then grilled to perfection um they generally um are, either have a salsa on them or you have salsas on the table you put on them uh generally the filling is not that spicy i know that a lot of people are like oh mexican it's really spicy i can't eat it a lot of taco fillings aren't that spicy it's the salsas that have the chili heat um and i think it really fits with the british way of eating i mean in britain we like to put ketchup mustard mayonnaise <laughs> Um, must, uh, red currant jelly mint jelly we love sauces and anointments on our food we're just like Mexico you know no yeah. Mexican would dream of going near a restaurant that didn't have a salsa on the table yeah. so um, they are delicious and they're not heavy you know I'd argue that a burrito in this country full of beans and full of rice mm. really like knocks you out for a few hours a taco is much lighter it's full of flavour fresh nothing. and zingy yeah fresh and zingy yeah. and sensational yes a taste treat <laughs> they really are um, so if there anything to look out for on the menu if, if you're ordering tacos from either Oaxaca or anywhere else um, well our most famous taco is our cochinita pibil pork pibil which is um, pork that's been marinated overnight and then slow cooked for four or five hours okay. in Yucatecan spices um, and <laughs> citrus um, and um, and it's kind of falling apart melting and served with these bright pink pickled onions which are light and zingy touch of habanero chilli um, we also do a real Mexican um, Mexico City street food staple which is skirt steak which we grill um, medium rare we serve with grilled crispy cheese um, and uh, smoky chipotle salsa which is really good also tomatillo guacamole salsa which is a mix, mixture of fresh citrusy tomatillo and creamy smooth um, avocados uh, so that is really good um, we do lots of vegetarian different fillings of tacos depending on the season and time of year because you know I think you should give people the option of eating vegetables cheaper and better for the environment better for you so, is that a Mexican thing or is that something you've adopted for the British market? Uh, if you go to Mexico, you have lots of vegetarian fillings. So wild mushrooms, huitlacoche, which is a fungus that grows on corn that is truffly and delicious tasting. Corn, um, wild greens. In Oaxaca, they have amazing variety of wild greens. Um, uh, Wazontle, um, lots of kind of amaranth, uh, related to the amaranth vegetables. So protein-rich greens, um, courgettes, uh, um, pumpkins. So I would argue that there are lots of vegetables. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I've noticed when I've been reading the new menus, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, so forgive me, and please pronounce it correctly if you can. Um, nixtamalized, is that how you yeah, say it? Yeah, nixtamalized. So what does that mean? That means um, rather than making your tortillas from a dried corn that's ground into a flour, yeah. which is you know, it's quite easy to buy masarina, which is a ground flour from dried corn kernels. Um, nixtamalization is when you buy the corn kernels dried they're yeah. dried necessarily when you buy them here um, but then you um, rehydrate them cook them yeah. and then grind that dough fresh to okay. make your tortillas and that's nixtamalization. okay so just if you ever read that on a menu so I keep seeing it popping up and not really any explanation for it so yeah I mean they're boiling the corn fresh on site okay cool excellent um, and so one thing that we need to definitely look out for if we're looking on menus is Taco Tuesdays yes tacos. tell us about that that's throughout 2017 right yeah, well, we just we just felt that um, people who hadn't come across tacos yet yeah. were missing out. 
because they're such bundles of deliciousness. <laughs> um, so we decided, um, I mean, Taco Tuesday is quite a big thing in the States. Yeah. And uh, in the States, people love tacos. They just eat them everywhere in Mexico. It's, it's a major thing, a taco. And we felt that in Britain, people got like the burger, they got the pizza, you know, let's go get 30 fried chicken tonight. Yeah. But they just were missing out on this whole existing deliciousness which was tacos yeah so we felt that by making taco tuesday a thing we could help people by putting tacos in their like weekly diet yeah. um because they are healthy they are delicious and they're basically really affordable so um so this year basically taco tuesday is a thing when you come in the first plate of tacos is only a pound um it's and it's basically to try and like eke people away from the burrito yeah. and onto the taco which has got more flavor um better for you just great sounds like a great idea <laughs> I will be making the most of it what about mezcal tea that seems to have exploded over the last six months or so so we've gone from tequila to this mysterious liquor what, what is it yeah well I like to I like to think Oaxaca opened Oaxaca opened the first ever mezcaleria uh, yeah. so I like to think we were ahead of the trend definitely there. pioneers uh, pioneers uh, mezcal <laughs> is delicious it's the mother of tequila Tequila is made from one type of agave, the blue agave plant. Okay. Mezcal is made from many different varieties of agave plant. Uh, generally in the state of Oaxaca, um, it's still really artisanally made. So many of the tequilas we um, have stocked have been made literally with a donkey pulling a volcanic stone around, wow. smashing up the agave plants that are roasted in a big pit in the ground for three days. So you get this extraordinary kind of smoky flavour nuances. R- rather like a malt whiskey, which has got those smoky undertones from the peat. Um, mezcal, because of the roasting process, has that smokiness, and but it also has the varietal things that a malt whiskey has because you've got all these different varieties of agave plant that we grow in yeah. highland, lowland, midland, plain. Um, so it, it's extraordinary. The nuances of flavour the smoke it, once you get into mezcal I love tequila I love to go to a music festival after yeah. boss tequila it's a great dancing drink <laughs> but for flavour mezcal is hard to beat interesting and you've just got a new book out and it's a bit of a departure from your last couple which were sort of more Mexican focused this is more about just home cooking and it's a it's massive it's a beast it's 300 recipes in there yeah it's, this is a big book for me so well I guess I've been writing a food column for the Guardian now for two years yeah. um, and the premise of that column was really to really try and inspire people in the kitchen. Yeah. And I think as a food writer, the more children I have, the busier I get as a kind of entrepreneur, working mother, yeah. whatever. Um, I think that recipes have to make people actually get into the kitchen and cook. Otherwise, you've failed as a, as a cookery writer. So my column is very much um, about really fun food with fun influences found around the world, but achievable. And then it's always got this bit about if you've used that ingredient, you can use it again here. Or if you've used that left, over. if you've got some leftovers use them again right. because I think that's the other part of the puzzle is um, there are lots of amazing recipes out there using all sorts of ingredients yes. but then what do you do <laughs> yeah. with the leftovers back the cupboard yeah. so um, I guess the premise of Home Cook is all about that it's about achievable recipes it's about the, the busyness of the modern way of living and how we all work like you know donkeys running <laughs> around like mad things yeah. on social media all the time it's about just carving out a little space in your kitchen where you can decompress and cook in an achievable amount of time yeah. um, and achievable recipes. It's also a bit about healthy eating. You know, for me, healthy eating is cooking from scratch. Yeah. It's not being a slave to processed food where you don't know what the ingredients really are. You don't know what they do to your bodies. Yeah. Gut bacteria is all about just eating more vegetables and as close to the source as possible. Yeah. That's healthiness for me. It's not about not eating 
grain, not eating sugar, not eating fat. I love fat. I put butter on everything. I love a bit of cream. Um, basically, just eat a bit more vegetables, but try and cook it yourself a little bit. Not all the time. It's trying to make it achievable. Yeah. Um, modern day household kitchen management, how to fit a bit of good food into your life. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a very good premise to me. And so just to finish, is there anything else you're doing this year that we need to know about? lots of celebrations happening at Oaxaca aren't there so people should definitely check out the website for details on that but anything else you're doing Tommy yeah so obviously 10 years of Oaxaca lots of celebrations going out starting in July when it, we are 10 uh, I've got my book coming out now and um, and then I'm just busy in the kitchen plotting lots of new menus for right. Oaxaca for right. non-Oaxaca restaurants maybe for Exciting. just uh you know, back from maternity leave, just cooking with quite a lot of chilies, fresh ingredients, and um, hopefully creating some magic in the next year or two. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to seeing it. And thank you very much for talking to us. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you, Tommy. Next up, here's our Janine talking to Chef Callum Franklin at the Holborn Dining Rooms. So um, today I'm here at Holborn Dining Rooms in the beautiful Rosewood Hotel in London. And I'm here with the executive chef, Callum Franklin. Hello. Next week is British Pie Week, so we're here to talk about um, all things pie, your pie journey, because you've become quite famous for your pies, haven't you? It's turning into something, um, <laughs> yeah, which is really interesting for me. It's um, I'm quite obsessive about design, and the pie thing has just kind of fallen in with that, I yeah. think. So tell me how you how you came, because I, I was looking back at your Instagram, you're now at 14,000 followers, which which is incredible. Um, and I think most of them you've picked up because of your amazing pastry work, but you were saying that um, this this kind of, this new style of doing pastries kind of evolved over the past year, would you say? Yeah, it was, I, last year I found these antique pâté en croûte moulds in the hotel. And I thought I'd never had anyone show me how to make a pâté en croûte, yeah. but I really wanted to learn. So, Can you describe what pâté en croûte is? So pâté en croûte, uh, in its crudest term, I guess, is is like a meat, uh, like a, a terrine that's wrapped in pastry and baked. Okay. And then when it shrinks, the meat inside, as it cools down, you fill that with jelly. So it's written like a posh pork pie. Like a really. posh pork pie, A yeah. long pork, yeah, yeah. pork pie. And, and the moulds that you're talking about are sort of long rectangular. So rectangular, so yeah. I think like a bread tin. Yeah. Um, but the ones that I saw that we had were beautiful and they had ridge sides. And I thought, wow, if we can use those yeah. and do it well, it'd be great. So we started researching how to do it, um, largely from the internet. Yeah. Because the, quite often you ask chefs how to do it and they're quite secretive. Okay. <laughs> they don't really like to give up much information. No one which wanted is to funny. give away their pie secrets. No. no. I'll give up. I'll give it to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone asks so me, I'll tell them. It's knowledge, isn't it? You'd think it would be nice to kind of pass that knowledge on, keep, yeah. keep the traditions going, because it is a, it's quite an ancient tradition as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's why we're doing it here now. Yeah. Because I want the, the, the we have 30 chefs at work, and I want those guys that, when they're running a kitchen in, say, five, 10 years, yeah they pass that knowledge on to someone else. Uh, it's, it, I don't want it to be a lost art in the UK. And it's a lot of effort, but I guess it's a great thing to have on the menu because the effort goes into the preparation and the cooking, but then once it's done, I guess you, you mostly serve them cold. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's that's what I say to the guys when we make it. It's 
attention to detail at every single stage of it, really making sure it's perfect, yeah. and then the final product will be good. So you started off just, I guess, normal pastry making, went on the internet, found, this, found these techniques. What sort of things did you start incorporating into the pies? Did you mean the pâté en croûte or the yeah, pies? Yeah, pâté en croûte. So <laughs> as we went along, it was really different kind of uh, crimping techniques. Actually, honestly, just finding out how to line the pâté en croûte kind of in a simple way was, okay. was the first breakthrough for us um, there's, a, there's a kind of technique that you do for that that I found in a book uh, Charcuterie by Michael Rollman okay uh, it just uh, if anyone wants to have a look at it it's yeah. a good good starting point um, and then really it progressed into kind of different crimping and, and pastry styles on the top yeah. and then finally the, the, the biggest breakthrough for us was learning how to do uh, black pastry design on oh, the yeah. sides. See, I think that's when I first became aware of your your work um, because someone posted something on Instagram and it had this incredible black... It almost looked like you painted black paint on the side of a pie, but how, how do you do that? How so do it's exactly the same pastry that we use for the case, okay. but we basically dye it with squidding. Oh, wow. So it's, it's still a natural food colouring. Yeah. It's yeah. flavourless. Yep. and it gives you this jet black pastry. Yeah. So what we do is we kind of put whatever design we want with that black pastry on the lining of the tin that we make the pâtain croûte with okay. and then freeze it so it's stuck to the sides and then we would put the normal casing in the tin. Okay. So when it cooks, it bakes together and there you go, that's the biggest secret in pâtain croûte. I've just released <laughs> you just it. just giving it away? Just giving it away. But I think it's, you know, I, I'm visiting some chefs soon yeah. Uh, and the Cotswolds, I'm going to teach them how to do it. They've asked yeah. me to come over. And genuinely, I think it's great if the UK is learning how to do this yeah. skill and everyone's pushing it and pushing each other and we're taking on the French. Yeah. Because <laughs> if, if you look at the pies, and we will post some pictures um, on our Instagram and Facebook to show you um, Chef Column's pies, it's all, there is, there's almost something kind of, I want to say medieval, but you know that kind of old England where they mm. used to spend hours and hours just doing these really intricate kind yeah. of pastry work and layers and layers and little kind of little bits of crimp. Because I saw <laughs> the one that you posted yesterday is like a... I was thinking it's like Danny the Champion of the World. Remember that Roald Dahl book where it, the, it, and it features this gigantic pie, which is just, which is a pork pie. It's, yeah, it's huge and it's got all these gorgeous pastry decorated. And it was, I think you had a layer of black pudding in the middle of that one. Didn't That's you? right. I've got pie. Yeah, I've some sort of pie OCD. Yeah. I think I can get carried away. It's <laughs> all really it yeah. It's just like kind of time. It's just time constraint, I guess, on the kitchen. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I love doing this stuff, but we still have to run a kind of very large restaurant. Yeah, you were saying busy you, restaurant. Yeah, thirty chefs. So we're thirty chefs. Yeah, I mean, we're doing kind of six hundred to eight hundred covers a day. It's insane. I mean, um, we're here now at breakfast time, and there's an average of two hundred people in for breakfast. And yeah, you're having to do that whilst getting ready for lunch and dinner. So that's. Yeah. Crazy. Is the pastry you use? Because I've, you know, back from cook school, I remember we used like hot watercress pastry. Is that what you would use? So I've been I've been making pies with hot watercress pastry this morning, and um, it's really interesting pastry because it's kind of reverse. Uh, Use plain flour, um, and then you you take some lard and some water, boil that. uh, You mix your egg into your flour, 
and then you pour the boiling fat and water over the flour it's and the egg. kind of against everything you've ever been told about yeah. pastry, isn't it? Because it's normally keep it cool, don't, don't mess about with it much. And this is like exactly. balsam lard, whack it in. So, it's, well. yeah, so it's, it's an odd technique because it is the kind of reverse. So yeah. what happens is as you work with it, it cools down and it hardens. Yeah. Whereas the other way around would be you take your pastry out cold and yeah. it softens. Yeah. Um, so it's about kind of knowing the right temperature to start working with it okay. and then really moving your bum a little bit yeah. so that it doesn't go hard quickly. So you have to really, so when you're moulding and everything, mm. you, have to, you have to do that quite quickly. Yeah, because the egg's cooked, so it's it's kind of hardening oh, as yeah, you do it. So it's like a like putty, I guess, when it starts, isn't it? Like yeah. the texture's almost like, it's quite squidgy and putty-like and then quite soft and then it becomes something that you, and when you're when you're talking about your pâté en croûte moulds is that does that mean you can actually um because whenever i've done raised pies you kind of press it in with your fingers don't you yeah and, and so does that is that what happens with the moulds you actually yeah exactly because it has uh, the one that i use has a really nice ridge design on yeah. it so you want to force the kind of pastry it's onto it. it yeah so you're um, not rolling it you're just literally well, well yeah um no, no, actually, no, the pattern could be roll out a big oh, rectangular okay, sheet. It, yeah. Like I say, if you look up that, the, the Michael Ruhlman method, you see you, you basically cut a template, so a rectangular template with flaps on either side that will fold into the rectangular tin. Yeah. And then you kind of squash in the corners. Yeah. So, um, but the, yeah, but the ones that, the, the normal uh, puff pastry pies that we do in the restaurant, yeah. so we have a curried mutton shoulder pie at the yeah, moment. I was in New Zealand at the beginning of the year yeah. and they do a, they do curry pies there and I was like, you know curry what? Curry pie? It's, it's dirty, but it's, it's not so dirty. Good. It's just a winner, isn't it? Come yeah. On. I was like, it's really good and I thought, let's be cheeky and put one on the yeah. menu yeah. but refine it a little bit. So. And it is beautiful. I mean, it's not it's not chips, pie and curry sauce. It's, yeah. it's like way beyond that. It's, it's a really good pie. But I think it has all of those, that, that original flavor there which makes you smile yeah. and and it still has that kind of uh <laughs> it says curry pie on the menu but we find we found some very good mutton shoulder yeah. from cornwall from warren's butchers oh yeah i and, know warren's butchers they yeah. do really good pasties as well absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. we i have pasty quite often from warren's <laughs> you order a, you get a boxing from yeah. warren's quite often but um yeah all of our beef comes from there yeah, they're great, uh, they're great yeah. to work with but um, so yeah, we kind of like braise mutton shoulders down overnight, and and then it's a really good curry recipe. It's yeah. not like, um, something that's rushed. But we no, do on the side, we yeah. serve like a, a fish and chip shop curry sauce with it. Oh man! But uh, that's what I, and I want people to I'm have so chips hungry. with it. I think uh, curry pie and chips. That's yeah, that's I'm a, happy with what that. What a lovely idea. And I mean, it's what I love about it as well, you know, because it is British Pie Week next week. A pie, there's nothing more British than a pie. We love it. You said it makes us smile. Mm. You know, it sort of it cheers us up on a, on a horrible freezing cold day like this. There's yeah. not many people who would turn a pie down. Um, what, what's your favourite pie? I know you said you love a pork pie, but you also find it the most difficult thing to... It's, but I think it's probably because you're a perfectionist. Yeah, exactly. And, and like pork pies, generally with hot water crust, basically come out quite rough looking. Not yeah. rough, but they're harder to make look really pretty. Yeah, I don't think you can... I, My, maybe yeah. that's the beauty of them. Yeah, 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 that's true, actually. Maybe I'm being harsh on the pork pie. I think pie. you're being harsh on the... Maybe the, the pork pies like this sort of slightly rough around the edges lovable rogue yeah you know? <laughs> for me it's, a, it's good the, yeah. the, 
the like true love in my life at the moment in the world of pies is the Pat Town crew, and it's something that I really want to push further. And who, I mean, look, there, there is a there's a, a kind of weird subculture of Pat Town crew in France and and um, Canada as well, and there is a world championship of it. Oh, okay. And there's never been a British person in it, and I would love to have when a go at it. So um, the next one's in January next year. So I think got, is it January? Right. So you've got like no. Sorry, no. It's beginning of December. Okay. So we've got mm. the rest of this year to get get up Man, to speed. Man, honestly, it would be a dream it. come true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they placed me last because I'm British, but um, I'd give it a good go. Could you know. like work on your French accent or something? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a dog. Adopt a French name. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Thank you. It's been really educational. I've learned a lot. I think our listeners have learned a lot as well. And um, do come down to Holborn Dining Room to try the pies. I can guarantee they're stonking. Thanks a lot, Callum. Thank you very much. Thank you to Janine and Callum. Next, here's Sarah, our drinks writer, and digital writer Alex talking bar snacks. Hello, so I'm Sarah, I'm Olive's drinks writer, and I'm joined today by Alex, who Hello. is our lovely digital writer and partner in crime <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> With all this On the cocktail drinking. Week. Yeah, so we're here to talk to you about bar snacks because we were talking in the office recently. Um, we do go out quite a bit for work. We're kind of trying to find the new trends and the new delicious cocktails that we want to recommend to you guys. And part of that is going to a lot of bars. Difficult job. It is a difficult job, but you know, we're, we're willing to take that sacrifice and do it, do it for you. Um, so when you're out, we've noticed that bar snacks in the UK leave quite a lot to be desired often. Yeah. You're so often just left with a packet of crisps. Yeah. Or some stale... Tinned olives. Tinned, o- tinned olives, stale nuts. Yeah. Or some pork scratchings. Mm. From one of those flimsy little packets, and not even good pork scratchings. Nothing against pork scratchings. No, so. because side note, <laughs> snaffling pig pork scratchings. Yes. I am a little bit addicted to. Definitely. I can't. I can't get enough. No, we I can't have them in the office, otherwise they just get. Eaten. They do like a massive jar of them gone in seconds. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. So yeah, we were thinking, why is it so bad? Because you go to the continent, you go to Italy. They have a aperitivo hour. Your drink is always served with a lovely little plate of cheese and meats and little arancini balls and things like that. And why can't we do it? It's like, it's not just Italy. I mean, Spain do it. So that's where tapas has come from. Yeah, so, because originally tapas actually comes from, fun fact. (laughs) Tapa, T-A-P-A, actually means a cover or a lid in Spanish. So um, the story goes that in a little tavern in 19th century Spain, King Alfonso VIII, told you we're having some facts here, um, ordered a glass of wine and the bartender served a slice of ham on the top of the wine oh. because it's um, it was in Cadiz and Cadiz is quite dusty and he didn't want any of the dust or flies to go in. So then the the king had that so... Um, and then he kept ordering it and people started saying, oh, I want that. And then they started asking for a tapa or a cover. And then oh. now... And that's and now, where tapas comes from. That is where it comes from. But the thing is, is now, you if you go into Spain and you go into a bar, particularly the traditional bars, mm. and you don't get a tapas with your with your drink, yeah. then it's like, what's going on? Yeah, so it's, it's really standard, and it should be here as well. So. It, exactly, it really should be. So that got us thinking about where can you get good snacks mm-hmm. in the UK, and particularly in London, because it's so based. And we, we picked out three of them in the February issue, um, but there are so many more. And I'm yes. gonna, they're all going to go online, so do look out for that. But 
just a couple of our favourites, just to give you guys some pointers, because these are bars that also do really great drinks. So often it's a restaurant with bad drinks or Mm -hmm. great drinks at a bar with bad food. They're coming together a lot more now, which is fantastic. Top of my list has to be the short rib nuggets at Hawksmoor. Which are absolutely delicious. They're like little nuggets breaded and fried as really delicious, meltingly soft, tender short rib. And it's got like a little sauce. I don't know what's in the sauce, but it's amazing. It's like slightly spicy, tomato-y. It's incredible. And you can just get those with your drinks. Yeah, and you can just go down. The cocktails at Hawksmoor are brilliant. They've actually just won um, Restaurant Bar at Class Awards a couple of weeks ago. Ah. Um, so the cocktails are brilliant and the food is incredible as well. You can also get um, poutine and you can get Ooh. lots of other little things. Poutine are like um, Canadian chips covered in, is it cheese? Chips and gravy with yeah. cheese curds. Yeah, cheese curds. Which is oh, ideal. At so indulgent. They do it with um, like fried shards of chicken skin. Oh gosh, think, chicken skin. It. It's just incredible. Amazing. Um, and then one that we went to together when it first, it's been open a little while now, um, that we went to together is uh, Seven Tales at Jason Atherton's. Um, yeah, yeah. Sashari. Um, and that's kind of like a Japanese Yeah. Style. Is a kaya. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. It's a kaya. Yeah. Yeah. Which is their kind of like take on a Japanese take on a pub mm-hmm. almost. But the downstairs cocktail bar is really cool. It's got like lots of neon signs and it's got black and white manga cartoons on the walls. And a snack that kind of blew us away was a tonkatsu sandwich. Well, yeah, we say snack. It's, yeah, it's, it's very hefty. <laughs> We're yeah. going to put it in snacks. It's yes. fine. Um, so it's crispy coated pork, like the katsu. Oh, it was incredible. Pork between two bits of white bread. Yeah, carb on carb here. But yeah, <laughs> but it's like, it's that cheap white bread, but in the best way yeah. that it's really pillowy and it's really oh, soft. It's amazing. Um, and it's got this kind of rich, sweet, tangy bulldog sauce with it, which is just incredible. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, we have to come back for that scene. <laughs> we We've actually got um, our own kind of take on a, Tonkatsu Sandwich. Sandwich, yeah. Tonkatsu Sandwich, yeah, online on the website. Mm-hmm. So if you just search that on olivemagazine.com. Yeah, that's kind Janine's of, recipe. That's yeah, amazing. Delicious. You can just kind of make your own version yeah. of it. And have um, with your cocktails. And have with your cocktails, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's bars like Sagan Wild, which is a wine bar. Oh, my favourite, yeah. Yeah, which we love also. They do, they've got two sites in their Hackney Road like they do lots of like cheese tasties and stuff like really quick again they're quite substantial bites but they do like you know really lovely olives and meats as well Mm. but then Um, when you walk into that what I love about Sagan Wild on Hattie Road is you walk in and you just hit with melted cheese smell it's incredible so good you can't resist having one can you no no always ends up with one (laughs) (laughs) and then at their other site Paradise Row site they do um Red curry chicken hearts, which is a bit more wow. out there as yeah, a bar that, snack. I'm not sure if I'd order that, but is it you worth should. it? You should. Okay. Yeah, delicious. Next time. Really, really delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just like a lot more places are getting into bar snacks, a lot more places doing aperitivo hour, um, one of Alex's favourite restaurants. Oh yeah, London. Zoilo. Yeah. Yeah, so they've actually recently, I've, I've been there for years and years um, with, with my parents and it's one of our favourite places and they actually got in touch recently to say that they were launching this aperitivo hour um, and it's from 5.30 till 6.30 on weekdays and with their cocktails, they have reduced price cocktails mm. and also some of their empanadas, which are the Argentinian yeah. little like 
take on a Cornish yeah. pasty. Um, they have lots of different flavours of those and they rotate which ones that they go on the menu. Um, and they also have braised pig head croquettes with quince jam. Yeah. Did you try that? I can't remember oh, if I they, did, but that they're sounds so amazing. delicious, so moist, and then you bite it. It's really crisp on the outside. You bite it, and it's really tender. Oh, what's great about those is they're, they're little like hand size, little canopy sized mm-hmm. snacks. They are snacks, but quite dangerous. But <laughs> really, really delicious snacks. Um, and we're seeing loads of other bars do stuff like that. Um, loads of bars are launching Aperitivo Hour and are kind of really focusing on on it. Um, possibly one of the most luxurious would be Ferrer at Claridge's. Oh, yes. I'm definitely going to check um, that out. Which is still on my hit list. But our lovely colleague Charlotte has been, and she's got a lovely review online. So if you search for Olive Magazine Ferrer online, you can read all about it. But basically, their concept is that you can try five bites, um, which are usually served as part of the, the full restaurant's tasting menu. So five for £15. That's amazing, because you would never, like, I would never be able to afford to go to Ferrer yeah. and have the full tasting menu yeah. so you get you know a little That's literally a mouthful exactly going to somewhere like ferret is a real kind of special occasion restaurant their tasting mm-hmm. menu is about you know 100 pounds and you can try five little little mouth size pieces yeah for 15 pounds per yeah, person with a cocktail so the Brilliant. cocktails are about the 16 pounds yeah they? so the cocktails expensive. aren't cheap but still it's all in for definitely 25 yeah quid. yeah have a little yeah. aperitivo dinner Definitely. Ideal. Yes. Maybe that can be our next trip, Sarah. Exactly. So if you guys have got um, any more suggestions of where you love to go that's got really good bar snacks, um, let us know on Twitter and Facebook and mm-hmm. um, all of our social media. Like I say, there are roundup of best bar snacks in London. It's going to be online. So please do check out at olivemagazine.com. Big thank you to everyone on the Olive Magazine podcast today. If you feel inspired by what you've heard, do be sure to grab a copy of the new March issue, our house special, with tacos on the front cover. And visit olivemagazine.com for more great recipe ideas, restaurant and bar reviews and travel recommendations. Happy listening, happy eating, happy cooking, happy drinking, happy travelling, happy tacoing, and we'll see you next week.